This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, May 8th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Callan Walker. Today on the show, good and bad earnings news for North America's largest supplier. The world's largest supplier reorganizes its mobility unit, and Volkswagen announces a few big executive moves. Plus, Automotive Ventures founder and CEO Steve Greenfield joins the show to talk about the ever-evolving state of automotive venture capital. Somewhere in the middle, the pendulum has to settle between being extremely entrepreneur-friendly, as it was for the last couple of years, to right now being a little bit more investor-friendly. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. First quarter net income at Magna International fell 43% from a year earlier. It landed at $209 million. Inflationary pressures took a bite out of the company's bottom line. North America's largest auto supplier said higher labor, energy, and engineering costs all cut into its profit margin, as did lower scrap steel and aluminum sales and inefficiencies at a facility in Europe. But here's the good news. Sales in the period rose 11% from a year earlier to almost $11 billion. The company benefited from better light vehicle production in North America and Europe and the launch of new programs. The company also increased its financial outlook for the year on better global vehicle production estimates and as the company works to reduce expenses and improve its cost structure. Bosch is reorganizing its mobility solutions business sector. The world's largest supplier is giving the unit more autonomy within its massive corporate structure. Now, it's forecasting a surge in revenue to nearly $90 billion by 2029. The unit will be called Bosch Mobility. It will be led by Marcus Hine, who has been chairman of Mobility Services since January 2022. The change will be effective January 1, 2024. Auto lenders fear that worsening economic conditions could push loan fraud and defaults higher this year. That's according to a poll by artificial intelligence and data provider Point Predictive for its 2023 auto lending fraud survey. It showed 70% of auto lenders are preparing for a declining economy this year, compared with 2022. Another big concern is that fraud was on the upswing. One in four lenders surveyed said they are not tracking fraud as soon as it occurs, with 35% of lenders saying their frontline employees are not trained or prepared to investigate or identify fraud. And Volkswagen is kicking off the week with a number of executive shakeups. In a sign of its growing regional independence from headquarters in Germany, Volkswagen Group of America has named a Brazilian veteran VW executive as the brand's new head of design for both North and South America. It's a first-of-its-kind position for VW. Jose Carlos J.C. Pavoni is already head of design for VW in South America. He'll add North America to his portfolio, splitting time between the brand's design studios in Brazil and California. In another move, Bentley's production boss, Peter Bosch, will be tasked with turning around VW's troubled software division, Cariad. Bosch will replace Dirk Hilgenberg in June. 
Volkswagen is set to dismiss all but one of the unit's current executive board members, with only its human resources chief remaining. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Magna first quarter net income dropped 43%. Now, I know it's been a tough time for suppliers. What do you think the key is for them to bounce back? You know, it was a a big drop for Magna, but they did do better than analysts had anticipated, and they raised their outlook for the year. You know, the key is, uh, you know, steady production, getting, you know, products launched on time and and obviously trying to eliminate waste where they can. And we're seeing this all across the industry and everybody's kind of tightening up a little. Gotcha. Coming up, the world of automotive VC has been on a roller coaster lately. Will things smooth out anytime soon? We'll hear from Automotive Ventures founder and CEO Steve Greenfield next on Daily Drive. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Automotive Ventures provides consulting resources and venture capital to automotive entrepreneurs. A little more than a year ago, it launched Dealer Fund, which invests in early-stage technology intended to help dealerships operate more efficiently using money from dealers themselves. It also has a Mobility Fund, a $7 million fund that focuses on dealer principles. I spoke with Automotive Ventures founder and CEO Steve Greenfield about how the funds are doing in such a volatile time for investors. Steve Greenfield, welcome to Daily Drive. Jamie, always great to join you. Thanks for having me. So you have a a dealer fund and a mobility fund. Tell me a little about the two of them. Uh, How big are they? What are their purposes? And what kind of investments have they made? So two years ago, two and a half years ago, we closed our first fund. That's our mobility fund. It was a $7 million fund, our first. Uh, We've now made uh, 19 investments out of that fund. Uh, About a third of our investors um, are dealer principals, which led us to the second fund, which we're just in the process of closing right now, uh, which will end up being just shy of $20 million. And we'll have uh, probably about 45 to 50 dealer principals as LPs, as our limited partners, our investors. It's very vertically focused. So whereas the first fund is sort of horizontally focused anywhere in the world, anything mobility related, This fund is very vertically focused on taking money from car dealers and then deploying it into solutions that benefit car dealers. 
makes a lot of sense. Uh, of course, there are a lot of a lot of those startups, and uh, if they see something that's good, they want to be a part of it. Yeah, I think you know you talk to dealers, and you know they, they like the fact that they get to check two boxes, right? One is by investing in things that they can uniquely help with. We should be able to get uh, outsized returns for them out of the fund. But equally important, or or in some cases more importantly, they're going to get access to early stage technologies that can really benefit their businesses. So you said that one is just now closing. It has not made any investments yet? We've made three investments out of that fund. Anything you can talk about? What's the one that's, that you're excited about? Well, excited about all of them, but I think the, the, the one that we've made first was uh, a company that we actually invested out of our first fund too, WarCloud, uh, which helps dealers with warranty processing back with uh, OEM. So submitting warranty claims faster with less errors and getting paid quicker on those warranty reimbursements. That's a pain point for a lot of dealers? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it is. Sometimes the dealers don't realize, I mean, it's a very manual process where typically they've got a clerk that handles this full time. But um, those invoices, until such time as they get submitted back to the OEMs, that's money waiting for them, right? So from a cash flow standpoint, we can speed up that cycle and also eliminate any of the human capital costs and um, make the whole cycle quicker. Sounds like a smart play. Think about investors in startups uh, these days. You know, it's uh, the investing climate has uh, has turned quite a bit. Of course, we've been through very turbulent times. What's it like right now with the the challenges to the banking system? That especially those mid-sized banks that are awfully important to startups, you know, higher interest rates, general economic anxiety about the risk of recession and all that. How's that affect the decision making of the funds or? the uh, you know, growth prospects for your portfolio companies? Yeah, it's a great astute question. I think the, the latter really has the biggest impact, which is sort of, I, I would chalk it up to confidence right now. Many, many of the folks with capital, there's an all-time high of sort of dry powder, right? Capital that needs to get deployed, that's in, already in the counts of VC and private equity and family offices. But there's a lot of caution right now with the, the environment and what, what it's going to look like over the next year. As we've seen, you know, public uh, uh, valuations have come down. Late stage uh, private company valuations have come down. Where we tend to hunt, which is very early stage, what we call seed stage, valuations haven't reset as dramatically. But just in general, it's become, I, I think I, I would summarize it by saying the pendulum has really swung from being very entrepreneur friendly in a fundraising environment. Valuations were high. Entrepreneurs were in control. To being very investor um, in, in control now. The pendulum is really swung to the benefit of the investors. We're seeing um, less funding happen. Investors become much more cautious and um, you know, valuations come down. And also even just investor-friendly terms start to weave their way back into some of these term sheets. Uh, can you give me an example of that? Like the more friendly terms? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, as you would if you were investing, I mean, when the entrepreneur has a hot company and valuations are high, there, there aren't a lot of terms um, that can be added in, right? So the, the entrepreneur can take money at whichever valuation they want and say, look, I, I just want your money, no strings attached. At this point, there are things coming coming in like liquidation preferences, additional oversight from a governance and, and board positioning, et cetera. Companies that other, or investors that otherwise wouldn't have been able to ask for board seats are asking for board seats and just more oversight and governance, which is probably the right thing, right? From a standpoint, somewhere in the middle, the pendulum has to settle between being extremely entrepreneur friendly as it was for the last couple of years to right now being a little bit more investor friendly. Tell me about your future of mobility thesis. What's what's the big idea there? 
Yeah. So um, if you had a, had a chance to look at uh, my, my May Intel report that we just published this week, it's trying to now build towards sort of what we've learned so far from a mobility standpoint, interpret what the future is going to look like, and then distill that down into areas of interest for us, right? To make that really crystal clear, whether you're an investor in our fund or you're a company looking to take money from us. And it's exciting. I mean, I, I do believe it isn't hyperbole to say that we're going to see more change in this industry in the next five to 10 years than we've seen in the last 100 across all aspects. You look at you know just the buzz in the market right now about automation and AI and how that may very well either augment and or replace human workers in, in many cases. You know, every week, I mean, Jamie, you report a lot on you know, connectivity and cybersecurity and, you know, de dealers needing to become more, more compliant with some of these rules and regulations that are coming. And then, you know, the, the movement towards sort of like the, the digitization of auto commerce is interesting too. We saw this real big push during COVID, obviously, where, where many dealers that were on the fence bought into digital retailing. And, you know, we saw what happened with Carvana and what's where Carvana is currently. But, you know, Pandora's box has been opened in terms of consumers craving a better experience around shopping and buying and owning vehicles. And I think it's just, it causes anxiety within a lot of folks. But for me, you know, creates a lot of opportunity, I think, to look around the corner, try to anticipate what the next five or 10 years might actually look like realistically, and then make, make investment bets based on who, who's going to benefit the most from these trends? It's interesting. You know, you were very rigorous, you know, kind of defining the seven buckets and, and then, okay, within each of these, what do we think is going on? What is really happening? What isn't happening? And then where can we play in those spaces? Right. Well, you, a good example, you know, you, you and I have discussed in the past sort of autonomy and whether we'll ever get to sort of full level five autonomy for passenger vehicles. Some would argue yes. I would argue probably not, um, just because of the complexity of, of of these things and the regulations coming. But yeah, I mean, we we can debate these things, but it's inevitable that the cars will have more technology. There'll be more ADAS systems to protect the passengers within those vehicles. And even if we could agree on sort of like the level of complexity of technology of these vehicles, there's a lot of downstream effects in terms of dealers being prepared to service these vehicles. Cars, for example, needing to be recalibrated and all these sensors on these cars needing to be recalibrated. And then just the, the supply chain, tier one suppliers and the automakers themselves preparing for this new future where these, these cars are effectively going to be technology devices. You mentioned autonomy as I want to pick at that a little more. You, I started reading your book, The Future of Automotive Retail, and I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the fictional, the narrative, futuristic story at the beginning. And there is autonomy in there. The dealer drives home and then goes out to dinner, you know, with his autonomous vehicle. Uh, and but and whether that whether all of the technologies play out the way you envision them, I think what I really enjoyed about it was how you, you know, captured the idea, right? Dealers adapt, right? The business is always evolving. It is going through more change now than ever, uh, but they will find a way. They'll figure out the things that other people can't do as well as they can and find a way to to thrive and take care of their family business. Look, one of the things that I love most about automotive news is you encapsulate sort of these stories, right? These narratives about origination stories. It's one of my favorite parts of spending time with dealers and find out multiple generations ago, how did the thing start? Running a dealership isn't one P&L. It's up to seven interconnected profit and loss generating departments, right? That, you know, I, I think the resiliency of this business model and why dealers have been so successful is primarily because as, you know, external threats come into the into the business, 
You can reallocate your your people, your capital, et cetera. Your transparency has brought a lot a, a lot of margin compression on the front end of the car deal uh, around used and new new cars. What do dealers do as a result of that? They allocated the parts and service. They all allocated the F and I. And I think it's a, it's a brilliant business model that's super resilient, largely because you'll have only one engine, one one cylinder firing within the engine. You have seven or eight cylinders, and, and, and I think there'll be new cylinders. There'll be new departments. Five years from now, um, you can mark my words, there will be a subscription department within dealerships trying to get consumers upsold on unlocking some of these features on vehicles after they purchase them. So we, we can let the mind sort of wander as to what the industry might look like in the future. But to your point, if nothing else, the franchise dealer model has been so resilient right, to change and disruption over the years because you effectively are, are, are running this very complex business where there's natural hedges within the business itself. Steve Greenfield is CEO and founder at Automotive Ventures. Thanks so much for joining me on Daily Drive. Jamie, thanks for having me as always. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own John Irwin, Gail Howe, Larry Valquet, and Lindsey Van Hulley, as well as Peter Siegel of Automotive News Europe for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on venture capital, the latest earnings news, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Nikola CEO Michael Loescheller about the zero emission trucking startup's trajectory and why it's so bullish on hydrogen. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.